listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 325, No Eye Contact. Hello, Big Chillians, and welcome back to The Big Chill Podcast. I have to change this intro and say I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie, and no more ever with Sam. <laughs> yeah, I might worry a few Ooh. listeners, but yeah, no, he is. He's still missing this time for return from his holiday to find that his apartment had been flooded. Flooded. So you know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. So hopefully that. Hope what did the Lord giveth him? <laughs> a holiday in Mykonos. A 10-day holiday well, I don't in think the Lord gave him that. Oh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's an unfortunate thing, I guess, to come home to. A, a flooded apartment. Yeah. That's gotta suck. Yeah, it'd be up there with... I also think the thing that might have been... I don't really want to tell this story on his behalf, but I think his... His soup... He shouldn't have left the water running? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? No, no, but... <laughs> no, because it was a leak from above him, from the apartment above, so nothing to do with his... Not, no fault of his own, seemingly. But his, the company that manages his apartment building was the one, I suppose, because the person above probably realized they had a leak. So it was the part uh, the that company that then messaged him before he got home saying, your apartment's been flooded and there's been a lot of damage. So the fact that even worse that you then get put in this situation where you're waiting to see how bad it is and obviously imagining the worst case scenario, in the end, it's bad, but it's maybe <laughs> not as bad as he feared on his travel back to England. <laughs> Sam, he's never coming back. <laughs> I can't wait to hear why he isn't here next week. I mean, he's got to start one-upping it, right? I mean, a trip to Mykonos, that's, that's, his, that's his problem. He started his first excuse for not being on the podcast with a trip to Mykonos. He could have just said, like, I'm visiting my parents. But you know you're you're starting high with a with a pretty nice trip at a good hotel, and now he's got to up it to a flooded apartment. I mean, next he's got to go for like self self injury. Like, run- <laughs> hoping he harms himself. No. <laughs> hey Sam, when you listen to this, no, slit no, your no, wrist. no, <laughs> no. As the he will have to say he himself has been injured would be a, a, a right. one up. So we're not stage. encouraging. Sam to start. No, I'm just, I'm just encouraging a double decker to to hit him as he's hitting okay. a crosswalk. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> not for him to harm himself. Look, I mean, since ever since you mentioned mentioned that your family has wanted more Vasilis related content, then had other listeners chime in say they were willing to volunteer as special guests. So, you know, I, I'll say this: if Sam's missing on Monday, we might start taking some applications for the third chair on this podcast. I'll tell you what we are we are not taking applications because I'm not going to take the time to read applications. Well, I'm not expecting to be overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it might be one person saying I'm willing. That might be the extent of their of the applications. But yeah, this would be the perfect opportunity to insert Ad Read for um, what's the company that does the hiring? Oh, Indeed. Well, yeah, I mean, LinkedIn Jobs has been, on a lot of the podcasts I listen to, LinkedIn Jobs has been pushing hard on the on the podcast advertising, which is weird to me. It just seems like one of those things 
maybe because so many of the other job finding websites out there have 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 like pushed so hard on the advertising maybe linkedin felt they were being left behind even though they're the dominant player in that in that area but now i get a linkedin ad almost on a daily basis well it's an exciting weekend for sports all around um we have a lot to cover so I think we probably should cover with the NFL, make our picks, and then go through some of the other sports from there. Do you have updates as to our current rankings from our picks for the first two weeks? I do. How do you feel like you did through the first couple of weeks? I feel like I did better in week two than I did in week one. That is true. Actually, yes, all of us did better in week two than in week one. So... To give I mean, you, I know I did better because I was only three bet, three one loss bets away from an amazing weekend. So no, I mean both both you and I nearly had incredible week twos. Because so, for example, I went twelve and four with moneyline picks, but three of my losses are the Vikings, the Seahawks, and the Chiefs. So in another world, my other losses to Steelers, that wasn't so close, but at the same time, they weren't blown out of the water. But in, I was very, very close to having a one-loss week money line. And also that would have swung a couple of, like had the Chiefs not blown their 11-point lead. I mean, we all had Chiefs money line and against the spread. Yeah, I know. So it, it wasn't, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, you know. So the live standings coming off of week of the first two weeks. In just the order they appear, not in any particular order. Uh, I am 21 and 11 money line. I am 16 and 16 against the spread. Then you, Sam is 17 and 15 money line and 17 and 15 Ooh. against the spread. Which is kind of crazy. Oh wow! Yeah, that's that's insane. Yeah, and then you are seventeen and fifteen money line, and sixteen and sixteen Oof. against the spread. Uh, so uh, well, at least I came back in week two. Yeah. Oh no, because I mean, you your week one, you were six and ten money line and five and eleven against the spread. So yeah. you've had a good. You went eleven and five money line and eleven and five against the spread last week. 11 and 5 against the spread is a pretty spectacular week. Yeah, it didn't it didn't show in any of my financial bets, but <laughs> felt good to know I had an 11 and 5 week on the podcast. Hey, look, the listeners were impressed. I did get some feedback. Maybe the listeners. <laughs> I got some feedback from listeners now. I did get a little bit of feedback from listeners. The episode with the picks only came out Sunday morning. You didn't have a huge amount of time to listen to it. So maybe some of mm. that advice and that input wasn't there quite in time. This episode will be out. I mean, obviously, when you're listening to it, this episode is out. <laughs> but uh, this <laughs> <laughs> but this episode will have been released on Friday. So you'll have had 48 hours to, Plenty of time. to listen to the 90 minutes of content and make your selection. So yeah, plenty of time. And spoiler alert, even enough time to get in my bet of the week. Yes. Because it will contain Saturday. Not enough time to get in Sam's bet of the week because he has included <laughs> Thursday night football and he's got, he always does he's got enough going on. So I didn't want to bother him and get him to fix it. 
I mean, I look, we could make an executive decision without him being here. We could just cut the Thursday night game out of his Thursday night bet of the week. Oh, I thought you were going to say cut him out of the podcast. Yeah, we could also do that. <laughs> well, hey, we'll say this. If his bet loses, he's gone. He's done. It's his highest stake bet he's ever placed. But no, um, yeah, I mean, we could make the executive decision. He's taken the Panthers money line. It's not exactly adding a huge amount of value to his bet. I mean, they are heavy, heavy favorites. So we could cut it out. And I mean, traditionally, we've said no Thursdays. All right, we'll make the executive decision. The Panthers are out of his. It's a fourfold. It drops to a threefold. It doesn't change a lot. Who knows? Maybe we save him. Maybe there's some massive upset. Maybe we add in something <laughs> on his behalf instead. Yeah. Sam, you're better than week lost. Um, I'm sorry, but you t- <laughs> you took a 14 to one shot. I-, I don't know why I did that, but. <laughs> but yeah, on that note, should we go to our our picks for week three? We need we do need like a not a jingle, but an intro. I need to find a suitable little song to go in as the just just take the uh espn's nfl noises yeah just get a suit (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that sounds like a great idea but no um actually can you get the welcome to my city song at this point it's got to be worth nothing i mean could i get it yes i can get anything it's not the challenge isn't getting it no i mean i think i think we could pay for it. oh you mean approval (laughs) i still think it's worth nothing yeah, it it was a nine year old Thursday night football song. Was that nine years ago? No, it couldn't have been nine, but it has to at least been five or Man, six. Man, I miss that song. I gotta say the uh, the consensus of this song was not well liked by other people. The first headline is how terrible is uh, Priyanka Chopra's Thursday night football song in my city. <laughs> That's the opening headline. That was 2013. Oh, so eight years ago. Wow. That that makes me that's one of those long time ago. that's one of those things that, you know, the random moments that make you feel old. That's uh that's one of them. Again, again, which is reason why we could probably get it for cheap. Although she's quite famous now, so maybe not. Maybe we spin it, we want to bring back her song and put the Jonas Brothers in it. Right. I think we might be revitalize it. You know, the the podcast is growing and we do have some exciting guests coming up, but that might be that might be stretching the the pull factor that we have at the moment. We do have slight in. The Jonas Brothers are huge Penn State fans. They regularly go to State College um for like Penn State games. Well, if if you can meet so maybe them, maybe we just say, "Hey." Yeah. Hey, maybe we just show start showing up at Penn State home games until we find them. Do you think we can get her to like to redo it so that it's you know you're gonna like it on my podcast as just our theme song? Oh my god! If that could be our new podcast theme song, that would be amazing. Anyway, you're gonna like it on this podcast. <laughs> I don't think. Good news. That was so terrible that we're definitely not going to get anyone suing us over that. But let's speaking of Thursday night football, let's get things underway. So tonight we have the Panthers as eight point favorites against the Texans. The Texans obviously missing their well, their first two choices of quarterback. It's a little bit difficult to assess exactly what their depth chart is 
based on the situation with uh, Deshaun Watson. However, they said very early on that regardless of whatever was happening with other quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson was not going to be considered for this game. So They're sticking by it. Yes. Yeah. So at this point, I mean, he's getting paid his money, right? It's kind of a crazy situation in which he's both being punished and sort of rewarded. Now, the the good news for the Texans, I mean, I don't know if you've seen, so Davis Mills starting might be the longest neck. That guy's a giraffe. Have you seen have you seen his neck? Yes. <laughs> I well, he he played for Stanford, so I'd seen him play a decent amount. I mean, he's if he's not gonna have any trouble seeing over the the offensive line. He at least has that going for him. But yeah, I'll keep it simple then for me. I, I actually think the Panthers are pretty decent. The Texans are okay, but I can't trust a quarterback getting thrown in at the deep end, no matter how long his neck is to maybe keep his head above water. But I'm going to take the Panthers to win. I'm going to take the Panthers to cover the spread. And Sam, who has sent his picks in for the entire slate of games this week, has made the same pick. Yeah. I mean, that's easy to know that Sam's going to take them. He's a huge Marvel Black Panther fan, so he's definitely taking the Panthers there. Only the second time in Carolina Panther history that they're favored by eight or more on the road. Pretty crazy. That's kind of crazy because they have been pretty good at different moments of time. I mean, they had a season where they nearly went unbeaten not that long ago with Cam Newton, so that is kind of crazy. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, Panthers, they lead the league in total defense and scoring defense and lead the league in sacks, and you have – David, the Giraffe Mills, according to Eddie, coming in to play. He had a pretty bumpy second half coming in for Tyrod Taylor last week, and this is a better defense, arguably. So, um, yeah, I'm with Panthers on this one. Next up, we have the Cardinals at the Jags, and the Cardinals are seven-and-a-half-point favorites. I don't have a lot to say on this because I think I've sort of shared all of my opinions on the Cardinals so far. This is a great matchup for them. The Cardinals seem to be in disarray at the moment. Thing, I mean, the Jags, sorry. Things are not going well. I did like that one quote that supposedly came out of Urban Meyer after week two when he said to Vic Fangio that playing in the every week in the NFL is like playing against Alabama, which is... A bizarre quote on a number of on a number of levels. It's as if he didn't realize that you don't play like Division two teams in the NFL, and you don't just get these really easy just go and beat them by sixty points every couple of weeks. But yeah, I think yeah. Did you hear? Did you hear Vic Vangio's response? No. He said, "Yeah, that's because you can't play the Jaguars." <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I think I'm a little bit worried about taking the Cardinals minus seven and a half points because they just have, there's so many things that could go wrong for them on any given week, but I, I'm going to take them to win and to cover the spread. Yeah. I spoil alert. This is part of my bet of the week, but the Jack Jaguars gave up 450 yards to Tyrod Taylor 
400 yards to Teddy Bridgewater. And now they're playing Kyler Murray, who's right now the front runner for MVP, according to, to betting odds. Um, he's already got 700 yards passing, seven TDs. So this is an optimal situation for Murray to really pour on the MVP credentials. This has the potential for a blowout. And you have on the other side, Chandler Jones, who leads the NFL in sacks, could make it a nightmare for Trevor Lawrence. So yeah, I'm going to go cards to win, cards to cover. And Sam makes it a clean sweep. So he betrays his normal loyalty to rookie quarterbacks. But, you know, as I said last week, he's fairly loyal. Up next, we have the the Falcons at the Giants, and the Giants are two-and-a-half-point favorites. I have to admit that this line kind of surprised me. I had to try and remind myself. I know we had this discussion about how good the Giants were or were not last Thursday. I sort of had to replay that game in my mind and determine where they really fell on a good scale. But it did surprise me in some respects that they were favorites, even though the Falcons have yet to win this season. Were blown out in week one. Were blown out in week two, even though they were in a close game with one of the best. Close for a while. Yeah, they were in one. They were in a close game with one of the best teams in the league until Matt Ryan decided that that wasn't going to be the case. I'm going to take the Falcons. I just think sooner or later, this offense is going to put in a pretty good performance. I mean, they they were good for most of the game against the Buccaneers, but I think they'll move the ball pretty easily against this Giants defense, even though it's not bad. I think they have so many weapons, and I just don't trust Daniel Jones. So Falcons for me. Well, it's funny that you bring up Daniel Jones because on last episode, you said he had an okay day. He was actually voted the pro football focus offensive player of the week last week with his performance. It was his first ever. Yeah, but they, ever. they vote ironically. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> it was his first ever 90 plus single game grade. So his first ever time pro football focus has given him an A grade for a game at quarterback not a good statistic to have but he has looked much better the falcons defense is atrocious they've they're last in terms of dvoa and the team as a whole has given up 80 points on defense in two weeks i can't trust that defense i'm not confident in any way on the Giants I can never be confident in the Giants especially after what happened last Thursday that was one of the most disappointing losses I've ever been had as a Giants fan but I will go the Giants to win and the Giants to cover now which way do you think Sam's gone Sam will go against me and he has gone with the Falcons he loves a little Matty Ice on a on a warm Sunday yeah yeah he has gone with the Falcons up next, we have the Ravens at the Lions, and the Ravens are eight-point favorites. Now, I suppose I feel pretty confident about the Ravens in this one. They've Obviously, they've looked good this... I mean, they looked good last week. It looks like their run game is pretty near on impossible to stop. I don't see any reason as to why the Lions would suddenly be able to stop it. However, slightly concerned by the fact that Lamar Jackson did not practice today. No indication that he'll miss the game on Sunday. Now his reason for not practicing was that his hip was sore 
following his flip into the end zone on the game-winning touchdown against the Chiefs. We've all been there. If I had a nickel for every time my hip was sore after a flip over a game-winning touchdown drive, oh, man, I'd be rich. Now, I've got to say, I hated that flip for multiple reasons. One, it wasn't that impressive of a flip. Now, I'm not saying I can do a front flip, but it wasn't exactly a great one, and he kind of used the football. He kind of stuck his arm out and used the football to help his rotation anyway. Also, there were three minutes left in the game or two and a half minutes left in the game. You can't pull that move when you run the risk of actually still losing because that's just going to look bad. And I also think the flip move, I would be furious as a head coach. You had the, It used to be famous. Sir Alex Ferguson banned Manchester United players after Nanny came in and was doing all his multiple flips as goal celebrations. He banned them just because of the injury risks associated with them. As an NFL head coach. Just another reason, just another reason why European football will never match the NFL. <laughs> oh, that's rich coming from... And a, the NFL is called the no fun That's league. rich coming from <laughs> comparing to a league that only just basically allowed players to start celebrating. With, uh, <laughs> and then made it illegal to celebrate in the face of another player. <laughs> it's an interesting one, right? Because it's interesting that it's... And I get... I get the the elements of taunting that they're trying to stamp out. I do get it. There is There are moments when it just leads to problems. However, the enforcement so far, I think more often than not, when you're seeing the flag thrown for taunting, it is just either a normal human reaction to a big play that happens to be directed in the vicinity of a player. I don't think it's always at the player in question. And then also, it never seems that egregious. But... The fact that you can be running into the end zone and do a front flip, and that's that's perfectly above board. That's okay. That's not going to get your opponent riled up. But if you break up a huge play on like a deep pass and you just do a fist pump sort of two feet away from, from the wide receiver in that direction, then that's getting a 15-yard penalty. That seems a little yeah. bit inconsistent. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's literally the... The way the interpretation of the rule in my eyes is you can celebrate however you want, but if during that celebration you lock eyes with the opponent, it's a penalty, which is dumb. The other issue I have uh, with this rule is that players constantly trash talk each other. So how do you distinguish like on field trash talking, which probably gets a lot more egregious and a lot worse in terms of what's said to someone versus you clapping in someone's face. Like, I mean, I've played sports my whole life. If I celebrate, if someone celebrates in my face, it's not a big deal. If someone starts talking like really serious trash talk, that's more upsetting to me. I actually, I prefer the trash talk. I will say the celebrating the face to me always seems pettier. I, the trash talk, I can at least, that's like more of a give and take. I can try and fire back more. But where do you draw the line? Oh, like, I, I mean, I what's don't know. the difference between a player clapping in someone's face versus while they're defending him, he's like calling him really bad names? Yeah, no, I, you know, yeah, like, no, no, I understand. Neither should. How is that not taunting? Neither should happen. <laughs> I mean, look, they've, the NFL has just applied the strict rule as you as you as you pointed out. No eye contact. It's the same. It's actually unfortunate that Sam isn't here because it's the same rule that he has for his sexual partners. So if he'd been here. <laughs> he would have been able to give us so much more insight into how that works in an intense moment. But oh, God, and that's what he gets for 
skipping out on another podcast. Right. I don't even know where we were in our picks on this one. Ravens Lions. Oh, yeah. So I've taken Ravens to win and to cover the spread, as has Sam. How are you leading? I'm with both of you. While I do think the Chiefs should have won that game yesterday and Baltimore would be 0-2, I still think they are a much better team than the Lions, and the Lions' defense is struggling under Campbell. So I will go with the Ravens. Did you just say the Ravens should have won that game? The Chiefs should have won that game yesterday? Last, if you know what, Eddie, it's such it's such a tough loss. It still feels like yesterday. I just like the idea that we throw out different days, like tomorrow, Thursday night, tonight. We just keep throwing those out so that listeners have no idea when and where we record this. It's a whole mystery. Yeah. <laughs> what would be better is if we actually record in parts on different days and clip them together. We joked for a while. Just stop that. No, we, Just stop the joke then. We joked for a while, right, that we the way we were going to really take off was to have this podcast transform into a true crime podcast. Listeners, if you're out there, go find Sam. Who knows? We're just making up picks for him every Thursday to keep his keep him alive. <laughs> <laughs> Easy proof of life. Sam says Ravens minus eight. Next game. Bears at the Browns, and the Browns are seven-point favorites. This is a little bit of a tough one for me because the Browns, they haven't exactly hit their stride yet. They've had good moments. They've had some bad moments so far. They look like teams can move the ball against them and score points, and their offense hasn't quite clicked so far. However, with you know this, Brown, this Bears team, I don't think there's a, t- a lot to fear there. And I'm going to take the Browns to win and the Browns to cover. And Sam has done the same. For me, this one seems easy. And I don't know if that's me being a little biased towards Justin Fields. I watch Justin Fields play almost every game at Ohio State. He, I, I've said it since day one. I think he's slightly overrated. I think there's a lot of hype about him being the Bears starting QB. And all the Bears fans want this. The Bears fans want this. He missed a ton of throws at Ohio State. Yes, he's a great QB, but in the NFL, you need to be super accurate. And that was always his knock as he missed a lot of throws. And a lot of his statistics were based off of an Ohio State team that were completely head and shoulders above the opponents they were playing and were just better players on the field. So I think this is going to be a little dose of reality for Bears fans where Fields is going to come in. He'll have a few plays that make people go, wow, look at look at that talent. But he's going to have a lot of plays that people are thinking, man, he is still a rookie QB. So the Browns are averaging 28 points a game or they've scored at least 28 points a game. I don't think Fields and the Bears can put up those kinds of numbers. So I think the Browns are going to win this and I think they'll win comfortably. Next up, we have, I mean, this is the perfect storm when it comes to games. It is the game on which, where Sam has the strongest opinion on one team and where you have the strongest opinion on the other. And we have the Bengals at the Steelers, where the Steelers are three-point favorites. It's a shame that Sam isn't here to to come up with his pro-Bengals arguments. I'll go first, because I'm sure that you have more to say on it. The Steelers were disappointing last week, but I still think fundamentally that's a really good defense. I think they'll get pressure on 
Joe Burrows. And I think they'll be just too good. So the fact that this is only a three-point spread, I think the Steelers will win. I think they'll cover the spread. I'm with Sam on this one. I'm going Bengals to win and Bengals to cover. I am just not impressed with that Steelers offense. And you're right. The Steelers defense is aggressive and they're good. Burrow's already been sacked nine times. Only Zach Wilson has been brought down more. And you have the Steelers with Cam Hayward, TJ Watt. Scary. Definitely scary. But on the flip side, Steelers have 57 rushing yards per game. And this is, you know, that's the Steelers MO is they're a rushing team. You can't rely on Big Ben, who is now 57 years old with half a leg left. I don't. I don't love the pick, but I think the Bengals are getting better and the Steelers are getting worse. So I'll go with the Bengals to win and to cover. And they have a lot of questions on uh, injuries. So I think even Ben Roethlisberger is questionable right now. And so is TJ Watt, Devin Bush, I mean, Joe Hayden. Is, so, is Big Ben being questionable? Uh, you know, you spend 15 no, minutes a week. Question, questionable character. Oh. He's got a questionable character. <laughs> All right. Next game, we have the Chargers at the Chiefs. No, sorry. We have the Colts at the Titans, and the Titans are five-point favorites. This line kind of surprises me. The Titans looked as if they – I mean, I put, them in the, I put them in the trash after week one. I told you they're still in the trash. But the Colts are trash adjacent. They're not far away. And – this is a big game for both teams in terms of their playoff aspirations and for the division. I think I think the Titans will just do, hey, look, they're a team. They are who we thought they are, right? They're just going to rely on that running game. <laughs> that was last episode. <laughs> they're just going to rely on that running game. And I think, you know, I'll take them to win. Five points is, is right around the threshold where I would consider taking, uh, trying to thread the needle a bit, but I'll take the Titans to cover as well. Sam has made the same pick. So are you surprised that the spread is only five or it is five? Uh, I'm surprised that it's only five. I It was bigger earlier in the week, and I was expecting to see a number more around seven, I think. And at seven, I maybe would have considered them taking the Colts with the points. Not the Colts, obviously. It wouldn't have changed my opinion on the Colts winning. But five seems, considering right, you f- work under the assumption that the home team gets three points. So they're basically saying the Titans would be two-point favorites on a neutral field. That kind of surprises me. I would put the, the Titans as you know four or five-point favorites on a neutral field at the moment. But obviously the money is saying otherwise, but... Yeah, it surprises me a little bit. Yeah, the issue here is Carson Wentz, right? So he now has two sprained ankles. <laughs> he just got no ankles, Carson Wentz. And the alternative is Jacob Eason, which is not a good alternative. And that is one I don't understand that when they went out and got Wentz with all of the hoopla surrounding Wentz that they wouldn't get at least a decent second backup 
or second string or backup. Well, maybe maybe they were hoping that Wentz would have a season-ending injury and then they'd win the Super Bowl. Maybe thought they thought that was the key to succeeding in the NFL. That's the move. Yeah. Maybe. That's my main worry. Pretty nice fact I pulled up. The Colts are actually 3-0 and straight up and against the spread in the last three visits to Nashville to play Tennessee. So they have a recent trend of winning there. I think the Colts are the better team with Wentz. But it's still a big if as whether he's going to play. On that, I'm going to kind of hedge my my pick a little, and I'm going to say the Titans will win, but I'll take the Colts with the points. I mean, this could be. I'm not an over-unders guy, but this could be a low-scoring affair if both of these two teams just end up relying on their run game, which offensively it's it's the strength for both of them. So we could see the over the over under is 48. Yeah, we could see this game not only be low scoring, it could fly by. I mean, this this might not even make the witching hour. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I mean, the surprising the over under is 48 and you're looking at a team in the Colts who averaged 20 so far and the Titans who averaged 23. Yeah. So if you put just their points per game together, you're only at 43. So you have another five points to make up with potentially Jacob Eason as your starting QB. Yeah. Surprising. Yeah, it's not not a bad bet. Now, the two pretty high-powered offenses. We have the Chargers at the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are six-and-a-half-point favorites. Not a lot to say on these two teams that we haven't said already over the past couple of weeks. I do think I have one rule. Take a good team after a loss. The Chiefs are a good team, obviously. I think this will be a little bit of a bounce-back statement game for them. It's a divisional game. They haven't fared that well against the Chargers in recent years. They've kind of, even when they've won, they've struggled. I think they'll come into this with a point to prove in the same way that I felt like that with the Packers on Monday night, where this will be a moment where Mahomes and, and that offense decide they'll put on a show and I'm going to take the Chiefs to win, the Chiefs to cover. Sam, meanwhile, is taking the Chiefs to win, but he's taking the Chargers with the points. Sam is one smart cookie. <laughs> I have some pretty good stats for this game. The Chiefs in their last 13 games, what do you think they are against the spread? Oh, under 500. I would say they're maybe 4 and 9. 2 and 11. Yeah. In their last 13 against the spread. And they've uh are 1 and 5 against the Chargers. I'm sorry, one and four in the last five against the Chargers. So against the spread, I am definitely leaning towards the Chargers. You have Herbert, who this is, people don't know, that was his first ever start was against the Chiefs. And that was the game they lost in overtime in week two. And then he ended up playing them again, but Mahomes didn't play. But in that game, that was week the week 17 when Mahomes set out. Uh, he had a really good game, 300 yards, three touchdowns. So I think Herbert is definitely up for the challenge in these big games. I think he'll keep it close. Another pretty cool stat. Herbert is tied with Mahomes and Dan Marino for the most 300-yard passing games in their first two seasons. And Herbert's only in week two of that second season. That's pretty crazy to think 
he could go six, seven games at least above the record for most 300 games through your first two seasons. But I agree with you. I think the Chiefs will come out and kind of need a win here, you know, need to boost it, the morale, I think, a little bit. So I'm going to go Chiefs to win, but Chargers to keep it close. And next up, we have the Saints at the Pats. And the Patriots are two and a half point favorites. I mean, the Saints through two weeks, they are the Jekyll and Hyde team of the NFL. Don't know whether you're going to get Jameis Winston turning up and throwing five touchdowns or them turning up and not being able to score points at all and having one of the worst looking defenses in the league. So on that basis, I can't, I cannot pick the saints and cross my fingers and hope that I get the good version of them. Whereas I think the pay, the Patriots are, I think their ceiling is not that high, but they're definitely consistent. Their defense is very, very good. So I'll take the Patriots to win and I'll take the Patriots to cover. And Sam has done the same thing. This is a stay away game for me. I don't, I'm with you. I don't trust either team. I'm going to go with the Saints to win and the Saints to cover more based off of the fact that I think the Patriots are being overhyped a little for a team that's lost to Miami, which then got blown apart by the Bills and beat the Jets, which are with the Jaguars, the worst team in the NFL. So I don't think the Patriots are that great. And the Saints have a much higher there's, potential, and I just hope there's some context to throw in there, James though, Winston right? Can come come through. There's some context there, and that the Patriots should have beaten the Dolphins, and then in their subsequent game, the Dolphins lost their starting quarterback. So there is a little bit. I mean, I think it's hard to read too much into the first two weeks. I think you need about five or six weeks as your sample size before you can start, because we'll just tie ourselves in knots if we start trying to go through and go this yeah. team beat this team, then lost to this team. I mean. We got a Ravens team, right? Who lost to the Raiders and then beat the Chiefs. Where do I put them? You know, like, but, but yeah, no, I, 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 I understand why you have concerns about the Patriots, but I, I think they're, I think they will be a steady Eddie this, this year. <laughs> yeah. I, for me, I guess if you were to take all four games that those two teams have played, I think the best win is the Saints taking apart Green Bay. That's the only quality team that any of, well, the Panthers, but that's that's the only quality. So you're taking the Saints? Yes. All right. Well, next up, another team that had, has had Jekyll and Hyde performances and at the Bills who are home to, to Washington and the Bills are seven-point favorites. I'm just going to work under the assumption that the Bills are, are finding their stride and that they will turn into the high-powered offense that they were last year. Their defense is mediocre. I know this Washington defense is good, but offensively, there's not a lot to fear from them. So I'm going to take the Bills to win. I'm going to take the Bills to cover. And I think I feel pretty confident in that one. Uh, Sam has taken the Bills to win, but he has taken Washington with the seven points. I, I think you're underestimating the, the Bills' defense. They're second in the league in sacks, second in yards allowed, and haven't allowed an opposing team to throw for 200 yards. Uh, so for me, I think the Bills are, I think, a pretty easy pick. I'm with you on that. I don't trust Taylor Henneke. I, I watched that whole game against the Giants, and 
the stats might tell you he threw for 300. Watching that game, he did not look like a great QB. He had a lot of bad throws. The Giants should have had four or five picks that game. And against a much better Bills defense, they will have four or five picks on him. Wow. Bold um, prediction. They'll sack. They'll sack. Your prediction is he yeah, throws five interceptions. <laughs> Bet of the four. week. I'll do four or more. All right. Four or more interceptions. And that <laughs> Washington's defense hasn't looked as good as it should be. So on that basis, I think Josh Allen is going to put up at least 30 and Washington will not come close to that. All right. Up next, we have the Dolphins at the Raiders, and the Raiders... Oh, wait, real quick. So, Josh Allen is second worst in the league with targets... Sorry, with passes on target. Who is worst in the league? I mean, I have to say Jimmy Garoppolo. No. (laughs) Um, Ben Roethlisberger? Think bad teams, bad teams. The Jets, Wilson. Nope. Think the other bad team. (laughs) The other bad team. Oh, uh, Trevor Lawrence. Yep. Trevor Lawrence is worst in the NFL with passes on target. Which I guess is a bad stat if you are trying to. It's two games into its NFL career. You don't want to overreact, but that's a bad stat regardless of good or bad your team is because you you should be... That's down to you. I mean, there's other factors. Pressure, whether or not a guy's open might make the throw. You know, he might be intentionally missing the target maybe at times, or he's trying to throw the receiver open. So it kind of puts him in a situation where he ends up missing. But yeah, it's not a not a great early indication. But yeah, next up we have the Dolphins at the Raiders, and the Raiders are four-point favorites. This one, I have to say this line confused me a little bit because the Raiders have been pretty good. And I know they have injury concerns of their own, but still, I mean, the Dolphins without Tua, I guess the question mark is how big of a drop-off is Tua, but I think it's fairly significant. I think the Raiders will win, the Raiders will cover, and Sam has agreed with me. Yeah, I'm I'm with both of you. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, you said it all. I mean, no Tua, I don't think the Dolphins are that great of a team, and I actually really believe the Raiders are, a good team. So I think this is a pretty easy bet. Um, next, we have the biggest line of the week. We have the Broncos who are home, at home to the Jets and the Broncos are 10 point favorites. It's a big line. Spoke about double digit lines last week, but I mean, it's hard to find a lot of things to like about this Jets team at the moment. Now, don't have an interesting fact relating to this game necessarily. However, I do have an interesting fact that John Elway is interested in buying a piece of the Denver Broncos. He was offered, in 1998, Elway was offered 20% of the Broncos at a purchase price of $36 million. Today, that 20- wow. yeah. Today, that 20% would be valued at 700 and $50 million. Oh. oh my God. So that's, so that's where we should be investing our money in whatever. I should just buy 0.0001% of the giants. <laughs> well, I think we should just say, John Elway, what are you not investing in right now? And then do the complete opposite. 
but yeah, not that's got to be a little <laughs> gut wrenching. Now, I mean, John Elway's done very well for himself. I'd switch places with him. That's you know, it's not as if he's. I'm assuming. I mean, well, he's clearly not short on cash if he's still looking to buy a piece of the Denver Broncos, even if it's a small part. He's got to have some disposable income floating around there, but that one's got to hurt a little bit. But yeah, I'm part of me is worried because the Broncos become such an obvious pick. And at some point the jets have to put up some level of fight and be in a game. They're not going to lose by double digits 17 times this season. So I am mildly concerned, but this Broncos team is good. They're good on every side of the ball. They might have one of the most underrated starting quarterbacks in the league. And I'm going to take them to win. I'm going to take them to cover, but I don't love it. It would be a little bit of a stay away from a spread perspective for me. If the Patriots beat the Jets by 19 points in New York, and you have a Broncos team that has a better starting QB and has just as good a defense playing the Jets in mile high, you have to go with the fact that they're going to lose by double digits again. So I think the Broncos will win. The Broncos will cover. I guess my question to anyone out there would be, are you more confident in betting Teddy Bridgewater to get you a double digit win? Or are you more confident in Zach Wilson keeping the game to under 10 points? I I think that's the issue is I I don't, I mean, that's the thing is, when you get these double-digit spreads, I think the equation you have to try and work out is how high would this spread have to be until I felt really confident taking the the underdog. And I think for me going into this game, I'd have to put the line at about 16 points before I started to think, okay, this is getting silly. I have to take the points. So, you know, you're a full score away from that threshold. So I, yeah, it's tough, but I'm also not, I mean, and this is my survivor pick this week already. I submitted it early. I sent that email on Tuesday morning. As soon, as soon as everyone had been the sort of updated group had been sent out, People are dropping like flies in this survivor pool, which is kind of surprising to me. There's eleven. There were eleven hundred. No, there were no. There were fifteen hundred entries, and we're down to about nine hundred through two weeks, which is kind of crazy that people are getting things have pretty much gone as planned so far, with a couple of weird surprises that you could have avoided. So for my survivor, I took the Cardinals as my pick. But yours is different, right? I'm I'm the kind of more traditional survivor where you can only pick a team once. You're able to pick them an unlimited number of times, correct? Yeah. So for me, this was my logic was more I'll be disappointed if I lose on the Broncos, but I also don't think there'll be any other time in the season where I would pick the Broncos. So for that reason, I've got to if I get through the first three weeks, I feel like I may not have even picked a playoff team in the survivor pool so i'll feel as if i can outlast some people but we'll we'll see what happens already 10 people have dropped out of my survivor where you can pick the same team 
and you only started week we had two. Several people picked the Steelers, and you only started week two. Yeah, that's we crazy. Week two, first week. How did you? Steelers, Saints, Chiefs, and Seahawks were all teams picked that lost. I, I don't get it. I don't get what people are doing. Like the only reason you could have picked, you have to think people don't know the rule either that you can pick the same team over again, <laughs> either that, or they're doing, even if you do, why are you taking the Saints? I mean, there's only two, yeah, there's only two other explanations. One, you're trying to have like the smart pick. So you're trying to be like, oh, look, I, I wasn't in the pick that 70% of the pool took, which I can kind of get. Or the other option is you hope that you can then furiously root for a major upset somewhere else. So for example, last week there would have been that moment where you thought, oh, maybe the Browns, who I know were your selection, maybe the Browns are going to go out and maybe about 30%. No, I had the Bucks. Oh, okay. Which is another one. Yeah. Like maybe the Bucks exactly. go out. You know, that was a close game at, at, at one yeah. point. So you, and ha- I would say a quarter of the people had the Bucks. Yeah. So you put yourself in that situation to kind of root for the upset, which early on maybe but I think you just, with the survivor pool, I think the strategy is you just got to try and be in it week six, week seven, and then see, then reassess what the situation is. Now, up next, we have the Seahawks at the Vikings, and the Seahawks are one and a half point favorites. Such a tough one, because again, which Vikings team is going to turn up? The Seahawks. Even within a game, you don't you see two different versions of them. I'm just not willing yet to pick the Vikings against a pretty good team until I know I took them against the Cardinals last week, but I think the Seahawks are better than the Cardinals. I'm not willing to take the Vikings until I see them do it. This is a complete stay away game for me, but I'm going to take the Seahawks to win. I'm going to take the Seahawks minus 1.5. I'm a little bit surprised that this line isn't a a little bit higher but yeah the vikings <laughs> this is a team that's owing to that at the change of one play in each game could be two and oh just one so there yes their record says oh and two but they're clearly a better team than oh and two however I'm with you. I think the Seahawks are still a better team than the Vikings are. Russell Wilson, 7-0 and against the Vikings. Covered to spread in five of those. Pretty good. Highest rated passer coming into week three, so he's he's still got it going. Russ is still cooking. I think that NFC West is the best division, and with that, I think you know the Seahawks, even though they're, they might have the worst record in that division at the end of the year, they're still a better team than most other teams in other divisions. So I will go the Seahawks to rebound. Wilson's only lost back-to-back games twice in 41 starts, so it's a pretty rare occurrence. I'll go with the Seahawks to win, Seahawks to cover. And Sam makes it a clean sweep. Up next, I think we have the game of the game of the week, Bucks against Rams. I didn't pick my game that I wanted to avoid at all costs. Actually, Giants Falcons. Kind of, but do you know what I'm going to say? I don't think they're. I think fundamentally, the game I'd like to avoid at all costs is probably Panthers Texans. But, but, but I, I don't <laughs> think there is the second closest is probably Jets Broncos. I'm kind of interested to see if the Broncos put in a good performance, but it, it's not a good game. Yeah, there's not. 
a lot of people, a lot of the coverage I've have seen have said this is not a great slate of games. I actually think almost every game has some degree of interest. But yeah, up next we have the Bucks at the Rams, probably the game of the week. Bucks are one and a half point favorites. A tough one. The Rams are good. The Bucks have not have yet to hit fifth gear. We kind of spoke about it on the last episode how when you look at what they did last year, they kind of cruise through the regular season. I think they know that they're old. I think they just want to get to the playoffs and be healthy. That being said, you know that Tom Brady also likes to make statements. You know that he'll have been hearing about how the Rams have this high-powered offense. He's probably looking at it, trying to figure out how people are getting so excited about Matthew Stafford, a player who has spent his career being pretty much mediocre, even if from a stat perspective, he's been very good. Now, one interesting fact for you, this is the, I mean, this is the fact to know coming into this game. Tom Brady was speaking about his diet in even more detail this week, came out and said, almonds play a crucial role in his diet. It's kind of unsurprising. How many almonds do you think he eats a day on average? Are we talking like cups or individual almonds? Individual almonds. Okay, let me. I, I want to. I want to get a reference point as to what like a handful of almonds. How many is in let, there? And then let I'm me say a handful it. of almonds is eight almonds, maybe even less. Five to eight almonds in a handful, unless you're an animal. One serving of almonds is twenty three almonds. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. The average person who eats some almonds <laughs> is not eating 23 almonds. I mean, I know that might be the recommendation, recommended serving size or whatever, but the average person. That's like a serving. Yeah, the average yeah. person is not sitting down and eating 23 almonds. On that basis, I'm saying he's eating 80 to 100 almonds a day. See, I think your stat set you up to really overestimate how many almonds he's eating. He's eating 30 to 50 on a daily basis. It's not a crate. That's not that much. On a daily basis, it's a lot of almonds. I don't I don't disagree with you. Yeah, but is is he making them into like butters and spreads or are these No, are this just... is his snack. This is just he snacks on almonds. Okay. It's not insane. So it's not like up. he came out and said he eats 400 <laughs> almonds a day, but to really think He didn't Michael Phelps us. No, but to really think <laughs> that on a daily basis you're going to eat 50 almonds, it's it's a lot. It's two handfuls. <laughs> well, supposedly. <laughs> I don't know who's grabbing. No, that's serving size. No one's grabbing 23 almonds in one hand. That would be. I bet you Tom Brady can grab 23 almonds Probably. in his hand. He might not even. How many nuts can Sam grab in his hands? At least two. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Mr. Almond. I I'm gonna take Tom Brady just to make it again. It feels bad. Can make keep saying that players are gonna make statements in week three of the NFL season, but I just think there'll be a lot of sort of bulletin board material coming into this about people raving about how good this Rams team is, and I think that Tom Brady will maybe want to send a few reminders that. There's a pretty explosive offense in Tampa Bay and also a really good defense. 
which might cause we might have some flashbacks to Detroit Lions Matthew Stafford in this game. So I'm going to take take the Lions to win the Lions, I mean, Lions to win the Bucks to win the Bucks to cover. <laughs> yeah, both teams averaging over 30 and the over under is 55 and a half. It's a pretty high over under for the NFL standards. So Tampa Bay are on a 10 game winning streak averaging 15 points margin of winning. When was or who was the last team they lost to, Eddie? Uh, was it that Thursday night game against the Bears when Brady forgot how many downs there were? Nope. It was the Rams are the last oh, NFC team seen, to beat the Bucs. I should have seen that one. And that was 27-24. I should have seen that coming. I think the Rams are going to win this. From what I see, a lot of people predicting this is going to be a – the classic cliche is – the Rams are going to lose this one, but they're going to get their revenge in the playoffs. But I'm going against that, and I think the Rams are going to win straight up this week in week three, and they'll beat them in the playoffs if they see them again. Tampa might be without JPP. Um, he has a hand and shoulder injury, is a, which isn't good because he's only got one yeah, hand. He's had a hand injury for a few years. Has he just? You know, it's really funny. As I was has he just? Wait, I was thinking about this. Whenever, because I've always said that this is like one of the things I hate the most about the NFL analysts is they don't ever say the word injury. They'll just say like he's out with a knee, he's out with a shoulder, but it's not. He's not out with a knee. He's out with a knee injury. But if they said JPP, they say JPP's out with a hand, and that actually makes sense because he only has one hand. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, JPP uh, could be out and Antonio Brown right now is on the COVID list. So those are two big players that could be a big swing in that game. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much, but I don't know how the much the Rams look good. I don't know how much the Defense, Bucks are going to miss Antonio Brown, but yeah. I mean, he's playing great. He is, but I, they got so many weapons that I don't think, I don't think Tom Brady's going to notice that he's not on the field. No, because he's got too many almonds in his hands. Up next, another very good game. Packers at Niners, Sunday night football. Niners are three and a half point favorites. I'm not going to be swung by the the Packers beating up on a bad team on, on Monday night football. I mean, first we had to figure out maybe Aaron Rodgers doesn't play on Sundays anymore. Maybe this is when he does his Jeopardy rehearsals. So who knows if what version of him is going to turn up. But the Niners have owned the Packers in recent seasons. They've embarrassed them a number of times, most notably in the NFC Championship game a couple of years ago. I, Until the Packers show me that they can compete on both sides of the ball with this Niners team, that they can stop the run game, which is what they've really had trouble to, with in recent years, and that they can move the ball consistently against this defense, I'm going to just keep picking the Niners blindly. So I'm going to take the Niners to win, the Niners to cover the spread. I think I actually forgot to say in the previous game, Sam is with you. He's taking the Rams. But in this one, he's with he's taking the Niners to win and to cover as well. So what's the spread? Three, three, three right and now? a half. Yeah, that half could be killer. Green Bay actually beat the Niners last time they played. 
in San Fran, but that was when the Niners were playing with like their fourth string team because everyone else was injured. So I don't read much into that. What I do read into is the Packers have lost five of their last six games. So every game but that, they've lost when they go into the Pacific time zone. Not a good transition for a cold weather East Coast team, mid Midwest, yeah, East West team. Midwest. I don't know what you'd call yeah, them. Yeah, they're Midwest. All right. Cold Midwest team going to the Pacific Coast to play. Doesn't seem to play well for them. I agree with you. I don't read too much into that win on the Packers. Their offense did seem to click more, but again, not the best of defenses. I'm going to take the Niners to win this, but I do think the Packers will keep this close and that half a point could come in handy. So I'm going to take the Packers to cover. All right. Interesting. That's predicting a close game. And the final game of the week, the Eagles are at the Cowboys and the Cowboys are three and a half point favorites. I don't really know where to go on this one. This is a stay away. Interesting game to watch. I'm not sold on the Cowboys yet. I'm not sure how good they are. I'm going to take the Eagles to win. And obviously then the Eagles plus the three and a half points. I think these are pretty much two even teams. And uh, in that case, my rule of my rule of thumb is two even teams take the team getting the points. So Eagles for me, Sam's gone Cowboys and Cowboys to cover. For me, I think the Eagle, um, the Cowboys do look like a pretty good team. I think they are the best team in the NFC East. And with that, they are playing an NFC East rival in the Eagles. So I will take the Cowboys to win. But the Cowboys love to make it close. They love to have those last second thrilling victories. I will pick the Eagles with the points. But Cowboys to cover, uh, Cowboys to win. Eagles have lost their last three road games in Dallas. That's the only statistic I have for this. All right. Well, we'll get on to our bet of the week, I guess, at the end of the podcast. So if you're tuning in for that, all I can say is I'm riding a hot streak. I'm two for two so far in this week, so far this season. Frank is 0 for 2. Sam's 0 for 1. So we'll see, uh, see how this week goes. But before we get on to that, the other big sporting event that probably will have started by the time most people are listening to this is the Ryder Cup. We've kind of spoken about it a little bit. I got my Ryder Cup shirt on from a couple of years ago when I went to the Ryder Cup in Paris, one of the best sporting events I've ever been to. <laughs> really enjoyable. Didn't expect it to be quite as good as it was. Obviously, this time it's in the U.S. The U.S. are favorites to win. Well, to So they are one to two favorites to both win and to lift the trophy. Interesting. Steve Stricker came out this uh, this week and said that uh, the U.S. wasn't sure on how to contain European talisman Ian Poulter. Ian Poulter has never lost a singles match in the Ryder Cup. Ian Poulter is part of the Taliban? <laughs> is that what you said? Talisman. Oh, oh that could have been dicey. I mean, who knows? Maybe he is part of the Taliban because he hasn't actually won an event on the PGA Tour since 2018. So who knows what he's actually been doing between now and then. <laughs> now and then. But uh, yeah, he's never lost a singles match in the Ryder Cup. So it'll be interesting to see if he can continue that streak going. My feeling is part of me, I get why he's turning up and I get he's got the postman uh, you know, name to live up to. I would have been tempted if I had been him to retire with the perfect record. 
rather than as soon as you lose once, it all goes. It's kind of like a boxer. Like that one loss really tarnishes your record. But when you get to retire as Mr. Unbeatable in the Ryder Cup, now maybe he'll prove me wrong. He'll go out and win his singles. But it would concern me a little bit. I almost feel like there's way more pressure on him than anyone else. Yeah, it's it it's going to be interesting. So you're right that United States are favored, but even being home, I don't think it's that much of an advantage. So I think that's kind of playing into their one to two favorites is that they're the home side this year. But to me, I think the stats show that the home side, it, while it seems to be there's an advantage with the fans and the heckling, the stats show that there really isn't much of an advantage there. Um, and, you know, you're looking at a European team who's won four of the last five and nine of the last 12. So it's tough to bet against the Europeans, you know, because they seem to thrive on this. They, they love this atmosphere and they love this event. Yeah. So it is tough to take them. But And they've gotten... The other interesting thing, did you see that a lot of the... This is the, I think, most rookies the U.S. have ever put on a team. Yeah. So six six Ryder Cup rookies. Um, yeah. And that's tied for the most since uh, Valhalla in 2008, which the Americans won that one. Yeah. I mean, which is, a, which is one of the arguments going in Europe's favor. They just have so much experience. Whereas, yeah, this U.S. team, yeah. now you can, it's one of those things sometimes, right? When your experience is losing, it can be good to have some fresh faces who don't come into it with ghosts of Riders Cup past. So, I don't know. I mean, we, we already know what the day one foursomes are. So the, the, the Friday morning foursomes, you have John Rahm and Sergio Garcia up against Justin Thomas and, and Jordan Spieth. That's a, a star, you know, powered foursome on both sides. Yeah. I don't know how to lean on that one. They are, and the odds don't either. They're six to five, six to five, 11 to two. So six, same odds on either one of them winning and 11 to two on the draw. Up, up next, you got Paul Casey and Victor Hovland against Dustin Johnson and Colin Morikawa. Now, Victor Hovland has had a great season. Paul Casey is super experienced. I have to give the U.S. the, the edge on that in that foursomes, given the course and the distance. Just, I mean, Morikawa is a pretty reliable player. Dustin Johnson, obviously, can be a game changer with what he can do off the tee. I think you got to give them the edge there. Up next, you got Lee Westwood and Matthew Fitzpatrick against Brooks Kepka and Daniel Berger. A tough one. I mean, it's a lot riding on two players who maybe aren't in the best forms of their life from a European stand, standard standpoint versus Brooks Kepka, who, as much as he seemingly hates the Ryder Cup, tends to do well when he needs to he said those words were taken out of context i, I read out like a <laughs> nine sentence quote that's what that that was the the article today was those words were taken out of context okay. all all four paragraphs yeah. of them <laughs> it took me about nine hours to read it the gettysburg address was shorter than what he came out with about why he doesn't like the Ryder cup and then rory mcelroy and ian poulter are the final pairing against Patrick Kentley and Xander Schofley. Ooh. 
It's a tough one. That's a strong European. It's strong in terms of experience. It's strong in terms of potential, but it's not strong in terms of recent form. So, I mean, Rory McIlroy yeah. and Ian Poulter are not exactly informed golfers, whereas Patrick Cantlay is, and Xander Schauffele has had a good year as well. So it's one of those where you feel like if if everything goes to form, which I guess you'd say going to almost every Ryder Cup, but if everything goes to form, the U.S. should be up after the foursomes. And that's when things could get ugly for the for the Europeans if they start having to chase. But we'll see what happens. So what do you think the age difference is between the oldest European and the oldest American on their respective teams? Um, so I think the oldest American might be Dustin Johnson. It is Dustin Johnson. I think he's like 36 maybe. He is 37. And then the oldest European. Oh, that's tough because a lot of them are quite old. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> Paul Casey. No. Is it Poulter? Nope. Nope. Is it Sergio Garcia? Poulter's 46. No, Garcia's only like 41. Yeah, it's just weird because he's been around for so long. Who is? Oh, Lee Westwood. Lee Westwood at 48 years old. Oh, yeah. It's a pretty still going strong on Team Europe. There's a guy who's aged well. I won't make the jokes about Lee Westwood. That, has he? Oh yes. Have, has he? Have you gone and looked at early pictures of Lee Westwood? Do yourself a favor. Just Google young Lee Westwood right now. I read a good article that said the last time he played in the U.S., the fans were calling him turd the entire time, <laughs> and he said he hadn't heard him. He hadn't heard. Someone call him turd since he was on the playground. <laughs> yeah, relatively speaking, that's quite nice. Oh, that's a good one. I did like Brooks. The other interesting oh. thing uh, was I I had mentioned to you was reading the players recall their first ever tee shot in the Ryder Cup and how the majority of players can barely put the ball on the tee because they're shaking so hard and that a lot of them opt to take like a, a lower club so they can just put the ball on the on the tee box and not actually have to tee it up. That's how bad that they shake. Uh, and I forget, I forget what player it was, but it was one of the major players had said it was one of only two or three times in his life that he was genuinely afraid he was going to not hit the ball and make any contact. So it's, it's gotta be pretty intense. Um, one of the younger players was saying that Nick Faldo, his big thing is um, visualization that you want to like visualize your shot like a thousand times and that's going to prep you. So they, he took all the players uh, when he was captain to the first tee the day before and had them all there and like visualizing their shot. And a few of the players the next day were like, I actually think it made it worse because it was already in my head that this was an important shot because Nick Faldo brought us there. He's like, so that when I went back to the tee box for the actual shot, I was even more nervous. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's really no way to get around it. <laughs> The interesting thing, I mean, we spoke about this before. Bryson has come right out and said that the heckling has been really hard on him and that he struggled with it at times and that he is hopeful that a good Ryder Cup performance might help him to move past that and that it will be refreshing to hopefully have people behind him throughout the course of his round, which, again, it's just kind of sad. Not that I 
can feel sorry for someone making millions upon millions of dollars effectively living their dream. But it is a little bit sad when you do hear him talk about this. It obviously is causing him real angst. And it's made me, for a player who I disliked, it's actually made me sympathetic. And as much as I want Europe to win the Ryder Cup, I kind of hope Bryson does sort of well. And part of me also then, as part of that once, Brooks Kepka to do really badly so that it does completely change the storyline. But on the flip side, how much worse is his life if he has a bad Ryder Cup? Oof. Oh, and also, right, he can be a little bit unbearable in terms of his celebrations and overall demeanor. So how much, how quickly could I flip if he is obnoxiously fist pumping his way down the back nine on the way to a U.S. victory. I mean, my sympathy for, for Bryson might last about four and a half days, but we'll see what happens. But now up next, interesting set of matches in European football, a topic we haven't maybe dedicated as much time to in a couple of weeks. But before we get to that, I know you love obscure, meaningless statistics. And Luis Suarez, I do. Luis I do. Suarez st- achieved a an obs- the teeth an obscure and meaningless record on Tuesday night when he scored a goal in the seventieth minute seventy eighth minute against Hatafe, which meant that Luis Suarez has in professional football has scored a goal in every single minute of a match from the first minute to the ninety seventh minute. Wow, that's awesome. That is a really cool stat. I mean, for starters, it means you have to have scored 97 goals, which is already no mean feat. Now, two big matches in the Premier League. I know one of them has really caught your eye. It might be even making its way into your better of the week, but I don't know how exactly that's going to go yet. But, you know, it's, it's early in the season, and this is definitely what we would call a six-pointer at the top of the table. But Chelsea are playing Manchester City on Saturday. It seems drastic to say, but it also doesn't seem unrealistic to say that if City lose this, their title hopes are in a bit of trouble. So what do you think will happen in this match? Oh, I've gone back and forth on this. Um, I really feel like this is a must win for City. And with that, I think they can handle the pressure well and will, I mean, obviously, you know, Chelsea's going to want to come out and win as well, but I think City knows deep down that this could be a make or break here, um, already down some points. So if I had to have a bet, I think I would take City. However, what really scares me is for some reason or another, Chelsea seemed to have City's number in the past few matches. Um, going back to the Champions League, going back to um, what was the other uh, whatever cup match that was? It was the semifinals, right? It was Last the year? semifinal of the FA Cup, yeah. Yeah, the FA Cup. Um, yeah, I mean, Chelsea seemed to just have their number, so that is a worry. I think it's just going to be a fun match to watch. I, I would avoid betting a winner on this. Oh, so not bet of the week. 
I mean, they come into it. Maybe something in it is a bet of the week. They come in. I mean, City are Chelsea are three points ahead of City, uh, but they have remarkably similar records statistically so far in the five matches so far this season. Chelsea have scored twelve goals. City have scored eleven. They've each only conceded once. It just so happens that you know the only time City have conceded it was in a one nil defeat to Spurs in the opening match of the, of the season. So it's. I mean, it's just difficult. They both, defensively, they they both can be both vulnerable and solid. It depends on the week a little bit. And going forward, I mean, just so much fire, firepower. So I would expect some goals in the match. I think over 1.5 is probably the move. City average uh, 1.23 goals per match in in games against Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea average 1.55 goals per match in games against City. So I think I'm expecting, I think City will win because I think they need to. And I do think they are the better team. But, and this is always right. Also the, from a managerial standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, this is two very different approaches. Pep Guardiola with Tiki Taka, he has his principles as to how he thinks his team should play. It is the sort of style that has influenced, you know, when he was at Barcelona and when he was at Bayern Munich and now even at City, he's managed to adapt it to those leagues and the different styles. But fundamentally, Pep Guardiola teams play in the same manner, whereas Thomas Tuchel is a manager who his principle is based on stopping the opposition doing what they do well. Uh, he famously, when he was at Mainz, never played the same lineup in consecutive matches, which is remarkable, even with injuries and suspensions. It would go, you know, most of the time people think that you want consistency and you want players to, to establish some sort of rhythm. So you are having these very different managerial and coaching approaches going against each other. I think City will win, but I, I agree with you. It's a match you just want to watch. They also have the North London Derby, and I'm very disappointed Sam isn't here because I had some good little bits of trivia for him to see how well he knows his Arsenal team. Well, let's see, let's see how, I well, how well I know Arsenal. Okay. Let's see if I can stand up to the quiz. All right, question one, Eddie. Which club has more North London Derby wins? I would say Arsenal. Arsenal do. Now, question two. Put in order the number of times it's happened. Arsenal win, Spurs win, or draw? I would say Arsenal win, draw, and Spurs win. It is Arsenal have won 83 times. The draw has happened 54 times and Spurs have won 66. Uh, you set me up to think I got that so order. A little off yeah, on you that. set me up to think I got the order right, but I wasn't far off. They were at least close on those two. Okay. What year was the first North London Derby played? Oh, 1898. So the first league match between the clubs was in the first division 
on December 4th, 1909. However, however, there is controversy because Arsenal at the time weren't in their location. At that time, they were in Plumstead, Plumstead, right? Which is by Greenwich. Yeah, what they were. So they were in South London, not North London. They did not move to North London until 1913. And the first match played was in 1914 at White Hart Lane. So the first matchup between the two clubs was 1909. But the first true North London derby was probably 1914. Bit of controversy. Yeah, that's a good pub quiz question to get some people very upset. They'll have like two sets of knowledgeable teams. And very angry. Who then argue with each other over which, which answer is actually right. What player has had the most appearances? David O'Leary. Last question. Who is the Derby's top scorer? Mm, I'd say maybe Harry Kane at this point. It is Harry Kane with 11 goals. Well, I did all right. He was tied last year with Bobby Smith. But he pulled, uh, he scored last year to to go up solo. Not bad. Not bad, Eddie. I did okay. I did okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just a shame once they get relegated, (laughs) you know, you're not going to have that matchup anymore. I mean, it's going to be interesting, right? Because if Arsenal do lose, I think that is when they well and truly reach panic stations. So that would be, I mean, for both teams. Because even though Spurs have had, I mean, they had a good start to the season. They beat City. In a way, those first few wins kind of papered over the cracks for problems that they had at the back end of last season and the fact that they still struggle to create chances. And defensively, they're only good if they just set their set up shop to just sit, you know, park the bus and defend Ted Lasso style, but without the Ted Lasso benefit of hitting the other team on the break and scoring the winning goal. So. It will be interesting. Um, I don't have a strong opinion on on what will happen here. Another one that would just go firmly into the the watch category. Yeah, a, a tale of two completely different teams, right? Spurs have lost their last two and won their three before, and Arsenal have won their last two and lost their three before. So completely flipped there. Yeah. yeah. Not much in the goals department either. No. How many goals do you think they have combined in the Premier League so far? Arsenal have two, right? Yes. Spurs, Spurs probably have four. Spurs have three. three. Yeah. <laughs> Again, also, right? That is pretty crazy to think. It's, it's right? the reverse. Five goals combined. Yeah, it's also the reverse of the of City, right? Who have dropped points in the in the most efficient manner possible, losing one nil and drawing nil nil. Sp- Arsenal and Spurs have one have picked up points in the most efficient manner possible. So, I mean, it, it all means that this is going to end up being four three. I mean, that's kind of the way it will end up. Classic. Yeah. Shootout. 
Now, we can't wrap up the episode without touching on a, a story from this week that multiple listeners sent us as a topic that they thought that we would address, which is, I you probably may have seen it from one or two messages, but I don't know. It was also on the news pretty much everywhere. But the fact that the Suriname vice president, I'm going to butcher his name because I'm, it should be, that's kind of Dutch pronunciation, but Ronnie Brunswick or Brunswijk. I don't know how you're supposed to say it, but played himself in a match. Do you see this story? No, oh. I did not. So yeah, the the, the vice president of Suriname uh, bought a team for his son so that his son could play, but then he's 60 years old. He played himself in the last match. They lost 6-0. He was not able to play in the return leg because I think they had to travel. They were playing aside from Honduras. He was not able to play in the return leg and go to Honduras because he's currently wanted by Interpol, so he wasn't able to cross the border. (laughs) He played the match. At the end of the match, he also offered all of the opposition players $100 bills. It's a... (laughs) It's... This is awesome. Just a hundred? Yeah. He made history by becoming the oldest player to have ever played in an international club competition. He, he's also, there's a formal investigation by the football authorities. It's also been launched in to see how this happened. But it's, yeah, it's a crazy story. It feels like it'd be made up. It feels like it would be in a movie. I was going to say, this sounds like a movie written all over it. Minus the Interpol and the corruption aspect of it, it's quite funny, right? And I would love the idea of doing it myself. Like I would be tempted as a Premier League owner if you got into the final match. You'd have to register yourself. This would be the downside, is you'd have to register yourself part, as part of the 25-man squad for the Premier League, which means you'd be eating up a registration spot that could be used on a more useful player. But if you had enough young players where you didn't need to fill all of those registration slots and you still had a big squad available, I would be tempted to register myself. And if it got to the final match of the season and there was kind of nothing to play for of putting myself on the pitch for that final match, that I would be all in favor for. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this to me literally sounds like a Steven Soderbergh movie, like something he would tackle where it's, Got the serious part, but also quite humor. Something like the informant. I can picture it. Matt Damon will play the person. Perfect. It's already set up. Contact Soderbergh. Let him know we're interested. We can get Michael Lewis to write the book about it first. So then it's really just... But yeah, no, it's a crazy story. Part of the world that most people won't really have even heard of. I don't think most people could put Suriname on the map. But... Yeah, there we go. So I had two little tidbits for you. Well, first one is in On This Day. I don't know if you saw, but On This Day, 20 years ago, was Tom Brady's first appearance into a starting game for the New England Patriots when Drew Bledsoe was injured against the Jets came out for another series and then still didn't feel right and sat out the rest of the game later to find out he had a um, hemothorax and 
almost bled his lungs yeah. to death. Well, he One bled, craziest bled his lungs Still. to death. <laughs> it sounds like he just would have killed his lungs. Uh, that's like that's the medical term. So I, I didn't. I don't know if most of you guys. Sure, got you're, that. I mean, I look, you're way closer that. to being a doctor than I am. So <laughs> MD, I mean, there. But yeah, so it's that that part alone is such a crazy story. When you read back on the doctor who said, you know, he was could have died had he went home and not had they just sent him to the hospital because they knew something wasn't right, even though he said he just had shoulder pain. That's the crazy part. He said his shoulder hurt and it ended up being that he had a blood vessel burst in his lungs. But I, I don't Tom I Brady, don't like stories like that though, because then it just terrifies you. It's it's the kind of thing, right, that can not that I've been taking some huge hit on the football field recently, but it's the kind of thing that can turn you into a hypochondriac because you suddenly oh, thoughts yeah. start crossing your mind of like, oh my elbow feels a little bit sore. Maybe it's like Maybe it's a trapped artery and you know who knows well our friend our friend dan abe has a good uh kind of story like that so last two years ago i guess it was now when i had my blood clot in my femoral vein i kept telling everyone that my calf hurt and that was the only thing and i went to go see a sports med doctor because my calf hurt and it turned out i had a a pretty big blood clot in my vein which could have easily led to death had it broken off but now everyone of my friends that has heard that story i guess has it in their head and one day he woke up with calf pain like i had and after a day he said he couldn't take it anymore and he went to the er complaining of calf oh, pain you say this he had a, you, thinking he had a dvt frank you, <laughs> he ended up just having a a sprained achilles <laughs> you say this i remember i had like a strained calf at one moment and i kept telling telling you how my calf was stiff and you kept saying hey be careful it might be like me you might have a blood clot there so it's also you putting the thought hey. into your mind better safe than sorry so yes but 20 years ago tom brady took over the starting role for the patriots and never looked black never looked back <laughs> also he's never looked black <laughs> or liked black people as we famously know from his trump support yeah, well, I don't know about that second part, but he is a pretty pale person. <laughs> um, so that was pretty interesting. The other, I had two other things that I wanted to ask your opinion on and what you think about it. The first one, I'll start more sports related. So I'm sure you haven't heard, but Buffalo Sabres captain Jack Eichel was out last year with a herniated disc in his neck. Um, he is playing on the Buffalo Sabres and the Sabres are an absolutely terrible organization right now and has kind of wanted out. Now the doctors in Buffalo for the, the team doctors had said that the best course of action is to do a non-surgical rehab and then do a cervical disectomy to fuse his discs. Jack Eichel has said he doesn't want that he wants an artificial disc put in. Now the Sabres are not allowing him to get the surgery he wants. And they're basically at a stalemate right now where he's not going to play because he won't get the surgery they want and they won't let him get the surgery he wants. And as of today, they actually pulled his captaincy, basically ripped the C off his chest and said that he's you know no longer captain and he's still on the team technically, but who knows what's going to happen. 
where do you stand on how teams dictate a player's health and what they can and should do to their bodies? It's tough. It's a tough topic. I think if I can totally understand the team's perspective, I'm assuming that they've had a number of second and third opinions that agree with what the course of treatment that they are in favor of. So again, if it's just a team doctor telling you to do something, that would concern me as a player. But if you're going outside and other experts in the field are telling you, no, this is the best course of action, then as a team, I can understand saying you need to do the thing that most people are telling you to do. I can also understand. A- yeah. And, and just for reference, no one's ever gotten an artificial disc. <laughs> okay. That makes it even crazier. In, in the NHL. In no, the in NHL. the NHL before and played. Yeah. From the player standpoint, I can understand finding a doctor you trust and also that the freedom that it's your body and your decision and making the one that you think is not only the best in the short term, but perhaps the one that's better in the long term for you. So I get both sides of the argument. I can understand a team having every right to basically say our insurance or whatever policy they have in place will not cover you if you decide to do this. Or, I mean, I think the only solution to that is is that a player signs some amendment to his contract that basically says, I am going to take a course of action with my medical treatment that the team does not agree in if for some reason this does not allow me to play, then I am forfeiting my rights to future payments. I'm kind of immediately retiring, canceling my contract. I think that's the only thing you could do that puts... Now, I can understand a player not wanting to do that because you open yourself up to the risk that he has serious back injuries, back problems, and there's a very strong chance, even if the treatment was successful, that he has back issues in the future. And that, that opens up the team to say, hey, contract null and void because you got back problems and you did the treatment we didn't think you should do. Or you got knee problems, but we link this to the back surgery you had. I don't know what you do. I can, I can understand everyone yeah. holding their ground, but I also don't blame. I don't think anyone's the bad guy in that situation either. Yeah, it's 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 a pretty crazy situation they've been placed in. And you know, I do not think this is the reasoning, but it is interesting that Eichel do, does not want to play for the Sabres anymore and he's kind of been looking elsewhere for the past year or two and now there seems to be this unique situation that puts him in a stalemate with this team that might force a move. I I honestly don't think that is the issue because the main reason that he wants the artificial disc is like the new evidence shows that you get a lot less future surgeries from it and it's a quicker rehab. So it'd be something that he could, you know, for if in his playing career, maybe he's going to not got going to need another surgery where the discectomy you might. Um, but again, no one's ever gotten it in the NHL. So it is a relatively new procedure, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting. I, I mean, topic. the only solution, right? Is the control over a player's body from a team. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, the only solution I could think of is that they find a team to trade him to that's willing to allow him to have that particular procedure. But even then, if you're the Sabres, you could say that he's hurt his trade value by adding this particular stipulation in. Yeah. So yeah, it's lose-lose fundamentally for everyone. And yeah, I don't think there's a bad guy in that. But And then my last question for you is a m- little more lighthearted. 
So Matthew McConaughey has several times now said he would consider running for governor of Texas. And there was a recent poll released this week collected by the Dallas Morning News and the University of Texas seeing whether Texans would vote for Matthew McConaughey or Greg Abbott, who is the current Texas governor. What do you think the percentage was that would vote for McConaughey versus Abbott? And I'll give you the, I would vote for someone else was 20%. So you have 80% left to work with. 60% McConaughey. McConaughey was favored, not 60%. 45% said they would vote for McConaughey. 35% said they would vote for current governor, Greg Abbott. The most common or the most important quality that attracts the people who picked him to support Matthew McConaughey was his honesty to tell it like it is. That was 50% oh, so of the reason. Trump gets to, to come up again in, on this podcast. <laughs> Like I can get McConaughey seems like a really nice guy. I have no idea what his policies would be. This is the insane aspect of celebrities kind of getting involved and then their policies become yeah. secondary to, Hey, do I like this person? Do I have, I like their career? Have they done things that I liked? Did they play the bongos naked? And that like there's, there's, there's yeah. stuff there that just, well, that's, that's all. That's actually what he said too, was his, one of his hesitations is he doesn't even know, you know, like what platform he would run off of because he doesn't lean one way or the other necessarily. And you, it'd be really hard as an independent to, to win a, a governor in, in Texas. Can, can I, so that was one of the things he's kind of thinking. Can about. I just say, if you're considering entering politics and at any moment in time, that sentence has come up, you shouldn't run. Now I do understand the two party system sucks. So that's the unfortunate thing is that as a Democrat or as a Republican, it might, it, it kind of forces you in a lot of states to take positions that you might not totally agree with because that's just the way the party goes on certain topics. But fundamentally, I mean, just run as an independent then and see if your star power can do it for you. If anyone's going to win it as an independent, it's a celebrity. So, cause you at least get yep. name recognition and you're going to get invited to debates and you're going to be able to do, you know, pretty much everything that anyone else can do. So, and you'll get, I'm sure that you're going to be able to raise enough money to support your campaign. I mean, he, he has enough money to support his campaign, you would have thought anyway. But even if he doesn't want to finance it himself. But, yeah, I don't know. It would be very, very amusing to see Matthew McConaughey as the governor of Texas. Amusing slash depressing. It kind of turn depends on how it goes. I mean, look, we had Schwarzenegger as the governor of California. So, well, are you getting Dallas Buyers Club, Matthew McConaughey, or are you getting? Um, I'm trying to think of a, a, a more uplifting <laughs> I mean, movie. Dazed and Confused, Matthew McConaughey. Dazed and Confused <laughs> is more uplifting necessarily. From a, I mean, I, I, he he won't have AIDS, so we're probably not getting Dallas Buyers Club. Buyers Club, but. Yeah, I mean, I, it's just a tough thing with celebrities too. Yeah, we feel like they're honest, but they're not necessarily portraying their real version of themselves. They're they have a public persona. Oh, Eddie, the voters think the reason they will vote for him is his honesty to tell it like it is. I think he's pretty honest. I do have to admit, as far as celebrities go, he does seem pretty genuine. 
but and there's things that make you feel that way like i think he's pretty much always lived in texas he's kind of big big university he stayed away from kind of getting involved in the hollywood lifestyle and kind of staying true to where he feels most comfortable but still i mean the guy's not an idiot right he knows he's being judged and he knows that how he acts influences his ability to get work so he's never going to be off i don't know i don't want celebrities as politicians but he probably wouldn't be the worst well most people don't want politicians as celebrities either, but they get that too. So yeah, oh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm all in favor of a faceless civil service just running the government for us and having no idea who they are, but fully on board with technocrats. Literally faceless, yes. like they have a surgery. Performed. Yeah, I mean, look, I live in the European <laughs> Union. I'm all in favor of just technocrats. I have no idea who they are, but I just trust that they know more about a topic than I do, and that they'll make the right decision. Let's go for it. And on that note, let's go for the bet of the week. To yeah, well, we're technocrats of better of the weeks, and probably know more than you do as a listener. <laughs> Hopefully, maybe not. Uh, uh, Sam's bet of the week, having subtracted, removed the Panthers, who are an hour away from kickoff, and the game will have been over by now. By the time you're listening to this, he has a threefold or a three-team parlay, depending on where you're from, which is. All money line, Cardinals, Ravens, Titans. He's putting five thousand fictional dollars on it, and it pays two point two two. Okay, how much do I? Oh yeah, I forgot to give. I know I'm I forgot to give the quite update. A hole. So after the first two weeks, in which you have lost both weeks, you are down to seventy thousand dollars. You are thirty percent down on your starting stake. Two weeks into the season, Sam missed his bet of the week last week but he did lose his bet of the week in week one. So he is down to $90,000. I have won both of my bets of the week. So I am now up to $156,150. I will give you my bet of the week. I am down a little bit. So I'm going to go a little bit with a desperation bet. I will, it's a fourfold and I am switching up a little bit and I'm going to bet based off of my weekend. So if I lose, I lose, but at least I'm going to be watching the things I'm going to watch that will give me a more vested interest in watching. The first one will be Saturday morning, my time, the Chelsea city match. I'm avoiding a winner, but I'm going Lukaku anytime scorer. Next Saturday afternoon, I'm going to be watching college football. A lot of college football watching. The game I'm interested in, Notre Dame, undefeated number 12 versus Wisconsin, undefeated number 18. Notre Dame is getting six and a half points on that game. So I'll take Notre Dame with the spread. You have Jack Cohen, who was the QB for the Wisconsin, is now the transfer QB for the for Notre Dame. He's going to want a little comeback, a uh, little little rivalry with his old team. So I think they're going to win, but I'll take the points. A lot of points there. Then we go to Sunday. The cards are going to be on and I'm going to be watching and I'm going to take the cards with the points, which is minus seven and a half. And then lastly, we're going to end that Sunday watching the Ryder Cup and watching USA lift that Ryder Cup up at one to two favorites. So when you put that together, the cards minus seven and a half, Notre Dame plus six and a half, 
USA to lift a trophy and Lukaku anytime scorer. That is 11.85. And I'm only going to risk 5,000 on that. So I don't get too far in the hole, but if I win, it bumps me back up. That's an insane bet. It's just... And that is how you tell you're better than winning. That's how you tell you're in trouble. That's when... And I can tell you, anyone out there listening who thought any of that made sense, you're also in trouble. Uh, I am going to take... If if you took out the Lukaku, I still think it's actually a decent bet. Cards to cover. I'll say this. I've... Notre Dame to... To cover, I don't know. I've watched Notre Dame this. USA I've watched Notre Dame this season. They've not looked great, so I don't know. I'm far. F- but getting six and a half against Wisconsin. I'm far from a yeah. college football expert. My bet. Keep it simple. Like I said, like to get ahead, stay ahead. I'm going Chiefs money line, Broncos money line, Browns money line, and the USA to win the Ryder Cup. It plays two point nine two. Oh, so we both got that in common. That pays 2.92. I am going to put, I'm basically going to risk my profit so far on this, and I'm going to put $56,000 on it. Wow. Eddie is looking to take a lead. I mean, if I win this week and you two don't, it becomes, I could, if my goal, only goal then is to win the outright competition i could just become very conservative with my bets and probably stay ahead but all right well with that we'll see how things work out after an exciting weekend of sports talk to you later see ya